Well, good morning. We are excited about being in our future family series. And today is a very special day because all of you have come from a family. At some point in time, all of you were born into this world, of course, by God, but more importantly, because a man and a woman came together. That's how families are procreated. It's not what you're hearing about today. It's not what you're seeing shape the face of our nation, but it's an encouragement that we are going to stand firm and that we are going to stay in God's word and where we need to be so that we can be a witness as God wants to use us to impact this world. Listen, when they begin to fall away, when they begin to have all kinds of difficulties, when they begin to have all kinds of issues because they've gotten outside of the will of God, they're gonna look at your life, they're gonna look at my life, and they're gonna see what is it that you're doing that's different. In fact, you probably didn't know this, but when God created you to be born into or you've become a Christian family, it's not for you, it's for future generations. Did you know that? Dr. Kenyon Curitan uh, has put together uh, a wonderful, um, I don't know, cross-section of lost episodes and it really deals with our country and how God established it. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about it and, you know, I talk to as many millennials as I can to find out what is it that you think makes America great. Well, we've lost a generation as to the foundation of our country and how God established it. And it wasn't deism that our founding fathers uh, were a part of, as some people would like to say, but it is absolutely men who were committed to Jesus Christ. That's how uh, it was founded. And of course, one of those very influential men, I'm going to read a quote, on May 20th, 1981, was President Ronald Reagan. He made a proclamation for Father's Day. And here's what he said. There is no institution more vital to our nation's survival than the American family. It is here the seeds of personal character are planted and the roots of public virtue first nourish. Through love and instruction, discipline, guidance, and example from our mothers and fathers, the values that will shape our private lives and our public citizenship, end quote. So the days of our childhood forecast our lives, you know, God spoke about that, about training up a child in the way that they ought to go. And then when they're older, they won't depart from that. I'll tell you a funny story. It's funny to me. I, I, I was literally drugged to church so often. Um, and I was always the guy that was waiting on my three sisters and my mom to get dressed. And I always fought for bathroom time. I, I learned to get up early and get dressed. So I was always waiting around. Some of you guys understand what I'm talking about. I don't know that man. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about children. And I want to talk to you about how you 
proselytize your children. There's good and there's bad. There's a lot of evangelicals that also can communicate bad things and uh, you know having someone walk an aisle because we as parents so desperately want to believe that our kids are saved and that they're going to heaven I mean who ever that has children wants to think that their kids are going to go to hell now the reality is according to the holy scriptures that we're either one of two groups we're either those that are going to heaven through Christ or those that are going to go to hell I mean, there's only one or two locations. There, there, there's, there's no somewhat purgatory unless you want to declare biblically that, that purgatory was that transitional place. Certainly from the Old Testament, people ask, well, you know, Jesus, how did, Jesus wasn't here yet, so where did those people go before Jesus Christ got here and died on the cross? And, you know, it, it would be a little bit silly to think that God didn't figure that out and that God didn't certainly have a place where people can wait till we have the Old Testament and New Testament transitions. And, you know, I don't know about you, but God's a pretty smart fella. Um, I should have said that in a gender-neutrally way, but I didn't know how to do that. Person, maybe? But God is very smart at what he does. And, and the title is Future Families. And is my child genuinely saved from hell? That's a great question. Is my child genuinely saved from hell? When do I evangelize my children? What age? When do they have understanding? When do I evangelize them? Or any child for that matter. And, and what does the Bible say about Christian parenting? Now, I didn't have it, and maybe you did and maybe you didn't, and the good news of that is that I didn't have it, and that I was a, in a single parent home of four, all women, and yet God did what he did in my life. I speak to a lot of men. I don't just speak on Sunday. There's a lot of things that I'm involved in throughout the course of the week and throughout the course of the month. This is, this is my group that God brings to minister to. But for some reason, God does that. And I don't know why he does that. I don't know why he did that. But I want you to know this. The family is high on God's list of priorities. The family is high on God's list of priorities. And this morning, it's an opportunity to examine yours and to examine how the gospel was shared with you, how the gospel was shared in the midst of your home. And we can check ourselves to see this morning if we've erred in some areas that we can go back and correct it. These are all correctable errors, by the way. But we've gotta be very careful with the gospel message, what Jesus Christ says, and so he speaks about parenting. And we wanna look at that this morning. Christian families are God's highest treasures. Contrary to what the Supreme Court may or may not say or may or may not do, we still model ourselves after the pattern of the Bible. 
It's the only thing that is sure, steadfast, tested, and proven worthy. Everybody else derives their principles about the family and children from this book. They may deviate, they may twist it, they may deceive it, they may misalign it, but I tell you, every culture, every country gets what they get about the family based on the word of God. And what the devil does, he takes what is truthful and sound and he begins to twist it. Here's what God said. God wants to honor, he wants us to honor parents, right? Did he not say, it was important enough in Exodus and the Ten Commandments to say, honor your father and mother. He didn't say, honor your father and mother only when they're good to you, only when they do nice things for you, but the command of God is honor your father and mother. They may not be good to you, they may disappoint you, they may hurt you, they may cause problems in your life. Nevertheless, God commands honor your father and mother. Honor your parents. He wants husbands to love their wives. Colossians 3.19. He wants husbands to love their wives and wives to submit to their husbands in Ephesians 5.22. Now that is one of the most distorted words, submit, that I've ever seen or heard about in the body of Christ. And so I took a moment just to talk a little bit about that. A loving, sensitive husband will not force his wife to do anything against God's will, and he will not push her into anything distasteful or harmful to her. He will never assert his authority to get his own way. That's not the biblical model. When there are disagreements, they should be worked through calmly together in love. In making decisions, a wise husband will solicit and carefully weigh his wife's insights so that, I didn't say women, that you are now the leaders. In making decisions, a wise husband will solicit and carefully weigh his wife's insights so that most decisions will be mutually agreed on. I heard of one, one husband in ministry who came home and announced to his wife that they were going to move to a far country. And in my opinion, that was pretty dumb and insensitive to the spouse. I mean, if you think for one second that it didn't affect her or doesn't affect her and that she isn't a part of that, then you've greatly mistaken the relationship of the husband and the bride according to the scriptures. Only rarely and after much communication and prayer should a husband need to exercise his authority against his wife's point of view. If and when that happens, he needs to do it with fear and trembling before a holy God. Because that's exactly who you will answer to. We must always, men, recognize that, that God will hold us accountable for our decisions. At all times, he should have God's glory and his wife's spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being as his goal. Now, of course, submission is easier, wives, when your husband is loving and gentle and when you agree with him. 
It's not easy. In fact, it's quite difficult that when he is not being godly or when you disagree with him. You should never obey your husband over God. We should never obey the government over God. You understand where I'm going with this? We always honor God first. If a spouse moves you away from God, then you need to move closer to God. But it shouldn't be in a way that a husband or a wife moves the other away from what God says to do. Absolutely not. But when that does happen, and from time to time it will, I want you to understand the most important part of this. You can display a submissive attitude. That is a gentle and quiet spirit. And Peter spoke about that in 1 Peter 3 verse 14. And appeal to him or her out of love and respect. Your goal should be always to glorify God, ladies, and to build and edify your husband. If you have a gentle insecure and weak husband and you seem to be stronger it is not your calling to lord over him it's to encourage him it's to strengthen him it's to assist God in working in him and too many women and men get it mixed up and believe that they are now the Holy Spirit It's not your job, ma'am, to fix your husband. And it's not your job, sir, to fix your wife. It's your job and my job to love them according to God's word. If you do that, God will honor you. Far from a dictatorship. And so men, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. But scripture never suggests that we should elevate the temporal family at the expense of God's family. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we dare not turn our backs on the kingdom for the sake of our families. What? Please mark this down. Luke chapter 9, verse 61 through 62, because I did not say that. The good Dr. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote it. Christian families are not an end in themselves. They exist to further the work of the kingdom. Let me say that again. Christian families are not an end in themselves. They exist to further the work of the kingdom. Therefore, you have been given a mandate from God that as a Christian mother and father to produce Christian Children that will go into the world and fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, listen, wherever God takes them. If we are not doing that, then we are outside of the will of God for our Christian families. 
Well, what if you're not in a Christian home? Much like myself, that I didn't have Christian parents. I didn't have anybody leading me. Well, God always extends grace in the midst of that. But you see, I now have had the opportunity for over 30 years to participate in reshaping the Maynard family and culture. And that's exactly what I'm established and committed to do. By the grace of God, my children know Jesus Christ and embrace him as their Lord and Savior. They're all at different walks. They're all at different levels. But by the grace of God, I know that if I leave this earth where they will spend eternity, there isn't anything more comforting as a parent to know that your children are safe. And so it's important things that we need to be reminded of, especially those that are in our household of faith. Today, many see the family as a shelter exclusively for family members, a retreat from the world. They, they wall themselves in even from the church. Well, I'm not going to go out. We're just going to stay here. And, and the tendency is for, for mothers to nurture and keep them safe and not venture out the doors and protect them. And that's why we, we move from the public sector of teaching to private school sectors because they're not teaching the principles out of the Bible that need to groom and, and mold children. Our families are healthy only to the degree that they understand their primary function in this world is not to be fulfilled within themselves. Train up a child in the way that they should go so when that they're older, they will not walk away from God and not walk away from the teachings of the scriptures wherever they go, whatever they do. If you do not have children, and much like my life, there were many opportunities that Christian men from the Little League team and the soccer teams and around the neighborhood, I would listen and, and I would hear. I was looking for something to model, not having a father that was big to me to find someone who could model what it means to be a father, what it means to be certainly a Christian father. And I didn't find any of that for the longest time. And literally there was no hope. And so I rebelled. And so I strayed. And so I spent 25 years enmity against God. Maybe in ignorance. Certainly as a creaster. And that simply means going to church only at Christmas and Easter. There was a little bit of that going on in my life. Seeds were being planted. At times it might have been watered, but I look back and wonder, where were you, the church? Where were you in my life? There was no church people on my street. Now there were a couple strong Catholics, but I didn't have a whole lot of people that I looked around my neighborhood to model. Are you that person in your neighborhood that God can model to a lost and dying world? Are you that woman at the office that Christ can model? Are you that man? 
that Christ can use to speak to a world to model his son. It is right to strengthen our families, but let's not attempt to do it with gimmicks or self-centered efforts. Let's live not only for each other, but for the Lord and the building of his kingdom. In living for him, we will end up fulfilling one another. May God give our families a supernatural sense of their purpose, of why they're alive, and why God saved them. It isn't just because you might be a good mom and dad, though you may be to a certain extent. God has the ripple effect that will reach areas of this county, these cities, this state, this nation, and throughout the world. I never knew that God would use me to witness in Scotland. I never knew that God would use me to preach in a church in London. I never knew that God would allow me to preach to the Jew in Israel. I never dreamed of it, but God did. God has. Here's a truth. For many believers, fulfilling Christ's command to make disciples of all nations begins at home with the children. Well, pastor, what if it's too late? It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late until they start throwing dirt on your casket. But it's never too late to make that change. It's never too late for the church to be the change. Listen, this is our finest hour. We will impact these United States. We will impact. God will raise the church. God will revive the church. God will regenerate the church. God is doing it even as we sit here today. You won't see it because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He runs most of the media. He's going to do what he does around here. You're never going to hear that thousands of souls were saved on CNN. You won't hear any of those things. You won't hear pastors talking about the things in life and all the changes that are taking place place within the churches good things are happening folks because we are making the difference because we are committed to God because we set our priorities right it's never right listen to put your family above God it's never right to put your family above God's kingdom. Why? Because God's calling you to raise up Christian children to what? Reach the kingdom. Build souls. So we establish and we strengthen the family unit. With all due respect, I pray that God will use this word, and he will, and people just like you and me to love those that are lost and sinful. But the truth of the matter is that you can't procreate without a man and a woman. And if some of those principles were true that were being taught, they would literally go out of existence because there'd be no pro procreation because of God's intelligent design 
The process of evangelizing one's children, however, can be a daunting task. For many parents, the questions are as practical as they are disconcerting. How should I present the gospel to my children? What's the best approach to take? Or maybe it's your sister's children. Or maybe it's your brother's children. Maybe it's your neighbor's children that you've won influence over and God has put them into your life that you would share the gospels, not just good times, but to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. How do I know if I'm doing it right? Pitfalls, both real and imagined, intimidate virtually every parent who contemplates this responsibility. What about your grandchildren? Will you share Christ with them? Listen, I've already made plans for little Penny. More than whatever I say, she'd better see Jesus in me. More than whatever I do, they'd better see Jesus in me. What you do speaks louder than what you say. You can say you know Jesus. You can say you go to church. But if I was a fly on your wall and followed you around this week, would your testimony say something different? So let's talk about the common mistakes in evangelizing children. Number one, oversimplifying the gospel of Christ. Here's what I'm talking about. Because a child's comprehension is less developed than the adults, the temptation for many parents is to oversimplify the message of the gospel. We don't want to talk about tough words because we want to guard them. We want to protect them, folks. Sin, hell, total damnation, separation from God are all realities. Now, I'm not an advocate for scaring children into the kingdom of God. And I've been in churches, in classes where I've seen men and women do that. You speak to a room full of children, you talk about hell, and you look at them and say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Oh, no. Sometimes this stems from canned or programmed approaches to child evangelism, which often abbreviate the gospel, downplay the demands of the gospel, or leave out key aspects of the gospel altogether. Jesus Christ dying on a cross, there is nothing fluffy about that, folks. Jesus Christ being beaten to a pulp, there's nothing fluffy about that. Now, you choose as a parent, when you believe there's an understanding of the level of your child that you'll be able to talk about those things. But, like adults, children must be able to understand the gospel clearly before they can be saved. This involves grasping concepts such as good and evil, sin and punishment, repentance and faith. God's holiness and wrath against sin, the deity of Christ and his atonement for sin, and the resurrection of the lordship of Christ. 
Now certainly parents need to use terminology that children can comprehend and be clear in communicating this message. But when scripture talks about teaching children spiritual truth, listen to me, according to Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, that Josh read earlier, the emphasis is on thoroughness. Oversimplification is a greater danger than giving too much detail. It is the truth found in God's word that saves, but that truth must be understood. Number two, the danger of coercing a profession of faith. The danger of coercing that. Listen, parents, you have influence. Listen, teachers, you have influence. Listen, neighbors, you have influence. And you don't want to coerce a decision. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, whether parents present the gospel in an oversimplified or thorough manner, many solicit some kind of active response to that message. Children know when you're looking at them that you're waiting for a response. And children are hardwired to love mom and dad, to please mom and dad. Listen, hardwired. You know how I know? Other than psychiatrists and all of the studies of the years that we've had, it's amazing no matter how bad parents treat their children, they always still try to win their love. There are grown women and grown men still trying to win the approval of their mother and father. Whether parents present the gospel in an oversimplified or thorough manner, many solicit some kind of active response to that message. Let me give you an example. It could be a show of hands in a group setting, a rehearsed repetition of the sinner's prayer, or almost anything that may be counted as a positive response. You listening? By show of hands in this room, how many of you don't want to go to hell? Do you see what I just did to you? Well, it ain't like just because you didn't raise your hand, you don't want to. Some of you are just scared to death. What's hell? What is that? I thought that was just a cuss word. Well, hell in Hades is real, according to the scriptures. And it's important for every parent to remember, children will almost always respond in whatever way that parents ask. You listening? Not all guaranteeing real acts of faith in Christ. Rather than getting their children to pray the sinner's prayer or enticing them into a superficial response, parents must faithfully, patiently, and thoroughly teach them the gospel and diligently pray for their salvation, always bearing in mind, always bearing in mind that it is God and God alone that saves. As I mentioned earlier that you are not the Holy Spirit to your wife and you are not the Holy Spirit to your husband, you are not the Holy Spirit to your children either. You are simply to love them, model Christ, and set forth the example that they would be drawn into that by the Holy Spirit of God. As time goes by, it is never right to reinforce to the child that a childhood prayer is evidence for salvation. 
help them check their faith against Scripture. You see, you're always involved in your children's life. If you're going to do it right, you don't know what's in the future for you. You may have a son or a daughter in the future. There's always Sarah and Abraham at 75 years of age. You have no idea what God wants to do. If he wants you to adopt, you may end up adopting. It doesn't matter, but the preparation begins now. That you would be ready. I say it all the time. If you want a Christian husband, then live as a Christian wife. If you want a Christian wife, then start living as a Christian husband now. Right? Do the things now. Same thing with parents. So there's a danger of coercing the profession of faith so that, that we parents just feel better about it. Number three, assuming the reality of regeneration. The next pitfall is assuming with certainty that a child's positive response to the gospel is full-fledged saving faith. You hear it all the time. Folks, we got people walking the aisles as youngsters all the time believing that they're saved. And yet there's no fruit. There's no evidence. There's nothing that would remotely connect them to Jesus Christ. They rob, they steal, they lie, they sin, they go out and do drugs, they go out and get drunk, they go out and do all these things. There's no real evidence of a, listen to me, a transformed life. If you meet Jesus Christ and genuinely confess your sins and embrace him and turn and repent, there will be evidence in your life. It doesn't mean that you won't ever commit sin again. It simply means that you won't be caught up in the habits of those sins that you were before. Even after Christ Many great men and women still go to the altars of God to confess their sins. That's by design. Because there'd be a whole lot of arrogant people if they could earn it walking around this planet. There's the danger of coercing a profession of faith. In assuming the reality of regeneration, the temptation truly here is to regard regeneration as a settled matter because of an outward indication that the child has believed. One cannot assume, however, that every profession of faith reflects a genuine work of God in the heart. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, mark it down, read it later, and this is primarily and particularly true of children. Powerful to remember. Powerful. Children often respond positively to the gospel for a host of reasons, many of which are unrelated to any awareness of sin or real understanding. Listen to me. You watch the baptismal visit video of Chase. There's no doubt intellectually and spiritually that young man understands. He hasn't lived long enough to sin in some respect. So what Terry will say is we've watched him and we've watched the fruit of his life and then we said he's ready for baptism. You get it? He didn't just say I want to get my child saved but I love how Terry and Rachel have done that. They watched for evidence of the change in their character, their personality and in seeing that and talking about those things all right, I believe you're ready for baptism. I've seen God work in your life. 
See, you can't stop it at a coerced decision, and you certainly need to be careful about that assurance of regeneration. You know your children, but don't get caught up in your emotions. Again, we turn to the Word of God. Many children, for example, profess faith because of peer pressure at church or desire to please their parents. I mean, if my parent were to look at me and say to me, I really need you to help me today, would you please, I want to please my parents. In addition, scripture indicates that children tend to be immature. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, chapter 14, verse 20. Proverbs 1, 4 says that they tend to be naive. Proverbs 22, 15 says they're foolish. Isaiah, the prophet, in the third chapter, the fourth verse, says capricious. The Bible says that they are inconsistent and fickle. Matthew 11, 16, 17. Unstable and easily deceived. Ephesians 4, 14. Children often think they have understood the ramifications of a given commitment when they have not. Their judgment is often early and can be shallow, and their ability to see the implications of their decisions is very weak. Despite the best of intentions, they seldom have the ability to think far beyond today, nor do they perceive the extent to which their choices will affect tomorrow. This makes children more vulnerable to self-deception, and it makes it more difficult for a parent to discern God's saving work in their hearts. And I've watched my children. I still watch my children. My baby's 20. I still watch him. I still watch where he goes, who's he hanging out with. And it dictates my prayers and, and how I petition God and when I need to step in. How much do I let him go? And how much, and you know, that's how it is with all my children. Is there fruit in their lives? Is there fruit in their relationship? Is there fruit that's happening amongst them as married couples? That's not being judgmental, folks. That's being a fruit inspector, and that's what the Bible says we are. We are to inspect the fruit on the tree. Despite the best of intentions, they seldom have the ability to think far beyond that. And for this reason, only when a child's stated convictions and beliefs are tested by circumstances in life as he or she matures, do parents begin to learn more conclusively their spiritual direction. Pay attention to them. Assuring the child of salvation after becoming convinced their child is saved, many parents seek to give that child verbal assurance of his salvation. As a consequence, the church is filled with teenagers and adults whose hearts are devoid of real love for Christ, but who think they are genuine Christians because of something they did as children. It is the role of the Holy Spirit it is the role of the Holy Spirit, not the parent, to give assurance of salvation. Please check me on this. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. It is the role of the Holy Spirit, not the parent, to give assurance of salvation. You might not even know how he does that. 
You see, too many people whose hearts are utterly cold to the things of the Lord believe they're going to heaven simply because they responded positively as children to evangelistic invitation. Having asked Jesus to come into their hearts, they were then given a false assurance and taught never to examine themselves and never to entertain any doubt about their salvation. Parents should commend and rejoice in the evidence of real salvation in the lives of their children only when they know the child understands the gospel message and believes it and manifests the genuine evidence of true salvation, devotion to Christ, obedience to the word, and love for others. Now listen to me. Pay attention, please. There was a moment of time with my son Joshua at the age of six that we were in an office area and he approaches me about Jesus Christ. He literally was talking about God and salvation. Now, I don't know how much sin a six-year-old can get into, but nevertheless, I took advantage of the opportunity to plant a deep seed in my son's life. In fact, so much as I shared the gospel, I used a touch-on light to demonstrate the contrast of light and darkness. And I remember saying, Josh, this lamp is dark, but by the simple touch there's light. And when I touch it again, there's brighter light. It's equivalent of God through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that comes into a dark heart and literally convicts us of sinfulness and we understand the need and that necessary point of our life to repent. But listen, to a six-year-old, that was as deep as we could go. Now, fast forward with me. We're in Bryan College in Tennessee. We're at a youth event. There are hundreds of teenagers and youth kids. Personal friend of mine, Rick Corum, has run the camp for years. And I remember hearing him saying on the microphone, I was in the hallway praying with other kids, and he's saying, where's Bobby Maynard? Where's Bobby Maynard? He needs, he needs to come in here. His son's down here, Joshua. Joshua went forward at an older age, apparently through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, convicted him that he needed to do something more than what he did with his father, steps forward to an aisle with a preacher, repents, and becomes a true, genuine, born-again believer. But that's seed was planted at the age of six. You can't go to hell for what you don't know. And so if you have no understanding, why would a loving God condemn anyone to hell? Well, he wouldn't. But the evidence was the Holy Spirit of God that did that work. Take advantage, plant the seeds, water it, pray over them. But the evidence comes through the Holy Spirit of God. This is serious business, folks. This is serious business. And certainly God takes it seriously. A final pitfall for many parents is having the child baptized immediately after he or she professes faith. And that's what I talked to you about, Chase. That's why it was so critical that we played when Caleb and I were talking this week about his testimony and how that would play into what we're trying to communicate today.
foundational keys to evangelizing children is not enough for parents simply to avoid these common pitfalls. They must also seek to put into practice the following keys to child evangelism. Number one, setting consistent examples of godliness. Evangelizing children consists not simply of verbalizing the gospel with one's mouth, but also of exemplifying it in one's life. You tell your children about Christ and God's love and conviction and repentance and salvation, but if you walk around the house cussing and dropping F-bombs, that's not good. There's still work to be done. It doesn't mean that your salvation isn't real. It just means to reveal to you through the Holy Spirit, we got some work to do. As parents explain the truth of God's word, children have the unique opportunity to observe their lives up close and to see whether they seriously believe what you as parents are teaching. When parents are faithful not only to proclaim but also to live out the gospel message, the impact is profound. Because marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Ephesians 5, through 33, the relationship between the parents as husband and wife is particularly significant. In fact, aside from the parents' fundamental commitment to Christ, the single most important foundation for success Parenting is a healthy Christ-centered marriage. Setting a consistent example of godliness is indispensable. Has nothing to do with your vocation, your calling, who you work for. It's the real Christian life. Proclaiming the complete gospel of Christ, the heart of evangelism is the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, Did you share the gospel of Jesus Christ last week? Did you pray for the Holy Spirit of God to quicken you? Did you go out looking for somebody in your life to share the good news that God gave you, that God spared you? In fact, I've pondered this many, many times. Why is it that Christians need to be motivated to serve Jesus Christ? Why is it that preachers need to stand up in front of God-fearing people and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ when they already know that they have salvation? They know what Christ is doing in them and through them. They know that the evangelistic message is to preach the gospel to all the world. Why in the world do churches across the land just, oh well. That's your job, preacher. No, it's not. It's our job. You ever want to know my job? Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and read the entire chapter. I am to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're supposed to do the work. Oh, yeah. Yes, you are. I didn't say it. God did. You're supposed to do the work. I'll teach you, train you, cry with you, laugh with you, pray with you, counsel you. I'll do everything that needs to happen. Listen to me. But there is no such thing as abracadabra as a Christian. There's no such thing. Listen, this is hard work. You got to grind it out. You got to get in there. You got to read the word of God. You got to pray. 
We got a whole culture that is lost. But if you don't believe it, why should they? I think it's always best when you are evangelizing this week, because I know you will. Just start from the beginning. Talk about God and creation, the fall, sin, salvation, Christ in his life, the death and resurrection. But listen to me, parents, before you go today. You still are an influence to your children and your grandchildren and the world around you. If you don't understand the biblical evidence of salvation in your own life, you can't help anybody. Do you understand what it means to be saved and born again? Can you walk up to a complete stranger or maybe it may be somebody that you know and they ask you, how do you know that you're saved? Can you explain the gospel to them? Better question is, will you? The evidence that someone has genuinely repented of his sin and believed in Christ is the same as in a child as it is an adult. It's spiritual transformation. Let me just quickly grocery list this to you. According to the scriptures, true believers follow Christ, John 10, 27. They confess their sins, 1 John 1, 9. They love the brotherhood, 1 John 3, 14. They obey God's commandments, 1 John 2, 3. They do the will of God, Matthew 12, 50. They abide in God's word, John 8, 31. They keep God's word. That is tereo, and that means literally that God will sustain the power of salvation in us, working out his fullness to completion. Philippians 1, 6, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Somebody better say amen, because you and I won't do it on our own. We won't go after the things that we're supposed to go after. Listen, we have a hard time getting men and women to deepen their relationship with God. We've got husbands and wives, some are split right down the middle. One will go after it, one won't. One's trying to do the best they can, the other's far away from them. But a house divided will not stand. It just won't. We're always trusting the absolute sovereignty of God. The greatest need of children is to be born again. The greatest need of lost people is to be born again. The greatest need of people here today is to be born again. The greatest need for husbands and wives is to live as born again. Listen, it's not easy. The beauty of the Christian life is that we get to start over. Come on, church, somebody say amen. You're going to start over. You might start over the next 52 Mondays. But the beauty of the Christian life is that we get to start over, that I'm saved by grace through faith, that it's not a, a work of man that anybody can boast about. It is a true gift of God. The difference between me and the lost person is simply I'm saved and they're not. But I ain't no better than them. Oh, 
how many times we point fingers at everybody else. You see, just because those people sin differently than you doesn't mean that they're not fighting the same battle as you. Just because my sisters, two of them, died of drug overdoses doesn't mean that the sin in my own life is better than theirs or worse. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that those other people in the world are sinning worse. Just because the Supreme Court justices rewrote the marriage, just because there are those that are deceived in darkness of living the gay lifestyle, just because their sins are different than mine and yours doesn't mean anything other than I am saved by grace through faith and they are not yet. We don't love what they do, but we are commanded to love them. How can they come to the gospel if we don't love them? Now, I'm not telling you to go out and get drunk with them. I'm not telling you to go out and get high or go steal or gangbang. What I'm saying is, model Christ and God will bring them to you. Model Christ God will bring them to him. Wives, you got a wayward husband? Model Christ and he'll bring them to you. You hearing me? Don't get frustrated. Model Christ God will take care of the rest. You a godly man? Your wife's not coming along the way maybe she should or not. Listen, sir, model Christ, and he'll bring her to you. Well, my children are AWOL. Model Christ, and he'll bring them back. You with me? You ready to change this world? You ready to make a difference? You ready to be a game changer? You better hang on, church. Your papa's about to rock it. But he can't do it if you're not living right. God will rescue your family, your marriage, your child, your situation. You're battling depression, guilt, shame. Listen, come to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. You're going to make me break out in Spanish. Gloria de Dios. Jesucristo es el Señor. what the God that died for you and me is here we're going to do this we're going to turn Polk County around for Christ not in our own strength we're going we're gonna to make a difference man I think the fire of God can fall in a place like Thrive Church and men and women and children like you can catch a hold of the Holy Ghost and I can tell you things are going to begin to change it's going to get crazy it's going to get radical it's going to get exciting we're going to see church done like we've never done it we've been doing it wrong I've been doing it wrong you've been doing it wrong well let's get it right how do we get it right well we just simply repent come to God listen you can love a lot of things in your life you can love your job you can love the gifts that your job provides you can have cars homes clothes you can have all you want but in the end not a single one of them is getting you any closer to Jesus Christ 
And the sad part is that God has to take it all away to get your attention. And, and that is the danger of distraction. When we go down to Nicaragua, they are the happiest people on the planet. They brought revival to me. They don't have anything. They're the happiest people. I know you guys go because you see the love in them. They like light up like a Christmas tree. And I'm like, dang, I thought I came down here for you. But God brought me down here because you were witnessing to me. I don't need all these things. I can't stand the cell phone. We can't sit in rooms together without people Yeah, I'll take a burger. This is how we communicate. We, we'll get up and move around the house, but we'll have this thing right here. I love how you guys multitask. You can walk around like this. Don't let the distraction of technology replace what God intended. Listen, if technology was that simple and all I did was talk to my kids through Facebook and texting and Twitter, it won't matter when I die. You know what? If I could text them from heaven, they'd be quite content with my relationship because it didn't change. They won't miss my hug they won't miss when I look into their eyes and say, I'm proud of you. They won't miss the fact that when they're crying and brokenhearted that I can put my arm around them or a mom and dad can come together and pray over. They won't miss that. See, you're not seeing what, what God is trying to say. It's all designed to pull you away from the relationship. A hug, a handshake, a smile. I don't want to see your cotton-picking picture. I want to see you. I'd rather you whisper to me anything than text me. I'd rather you pick up the phone and say it so I could hear it audibly. Hey guys, tell your friends, come back tonight for our fish fry. We're going to talk about some men's stuff. Call somebody. You want, get back here. You're not going to get any better out there. You know, we, we do these groups with Daughters of the Kings, and we have the men's group, and we have the youth. You know, all of that is designed to do something powerful in your life. Listen, I'm scared to let you go out that door. I know some of you are twitching because the Presbyterians beat you down to Tijuana Flats. I know some of you are frustrated because you're ready to go, and it scares me to death because I got it. They're gone. Boom, they're out of here. And I don't know what happens to you the rest of the week. But God's a little bit more than a Sunday God. So here's the beauty, and I'm done. I'm going to guess that you got junk in your trunk just like me. I'm going to guess that you battle with things just like me. I'm going to guess that you have a need for God just like me.
aren't you tired of living the way you're living? Don't you want to see what God can do? And by the way, if God doesn't heal me or God doesn't help me or God doesn't bring me that job or God doesn't bring or fix my marriage or God doesn't fix my children or God doesn't do anything but be God, you do know it's good. So what do we tell the lost person? Come to Jesus. Listen, you can have assurance of your salvation. That sermon today was not to make you doubt anything. But pay attention to what you're communicating to your children. Better yet, model Christ a little bit better this week. And when you do mess up, let them know that you're flawed just like that preacher. You need Jesus. What are you dragging around in here today? Girl, if you want to get saved, then get down here. We'll pray with you. Our folks are going to take their places right now. They're around here. They're lay people that are available for you because I always intimidate people. I've tried to look nicer and softer. I try to wear softer colors. I wore pink last week. I, I wore pink thinking, well, maybe that'll help me out. But you know, I'm still the big bald guy. I thank you, Jeannie. I'm, I'm, I'm even trying to diet. I figure if I lose a little bit of weight, I won't look like an NFL retired guy. Listen, Jesus loves you. This I know, but the Bible tells me so. You can come home. You can come home. It's easy as getting right with God and just saying, Father, would you forgive me? I blew it this week. I blew it. I've been away from you, God. You know what? You know what sin does to me? I hate the recovery stage. I feel like such a schmuck. And it's so hard to get back where I was. It's not that conditionally and biblically I'm not covered. I get that. But I know in my heart that I grieved him. And that is so hard. I know there's no condemnation. And the enemy uses that and plays on that. But listen, there's a reason why God nailed his arms open. That for all eternity, we could all come to him. That's the visual. You got health issues, you got problems. We even have bilingual people here today that if you are Spanish, we can get you covered. Are you, are you living right are you? Am I the only one that struggles? Every week, man, I, I roll up my sleeves and I get on my knees and I read the word of God. Man, I feel like I'm three steps forward and two steps back. Does anybody else feel like that? You know? But I'm going to tell you something. That's the Christian life. That's, that's what it is. But you know what? I'm more concerned that you get back up. Because... Your debt was paid in full. Your debt was paid in full. You don't have to earn it. It's paid for. It's bought and paid for. I have to be reminded of that. I feel like I'm doing some penance thing. I'm going to beat myself up harder. Don't do that. Please. Please. Yeah, I'm, I'm really nervous right now. 
because you're about to go out that door. I know some of you are tapping your feet because you want to get to the restroom and, and, and the conviction's strong. Don't give up, please. Stay in there. Hang in there. Keep fighting. Okay? Keep fighting. Come on. There's a second half to this thing. We can do this. You know what? We can do this. And kids, if your mom and dad are struggling, pray for them. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish somebody would have told me that years ago. I might have been able to help save my mom and daddy's divorce. Oh, I wish somebody would have told me, little Bobby, you can make a difference. If somebody would have told me I can do something about my situation with my mom and my daddy, oh man, I'd, I'd be on that like white on rice. You just heard it. It's not too late. God can fix anything. He's in the reconciliation business. He will restore. He will bless. He will bring together. He'll forgive. He'll anoint. He'll do everything that God promised that he will do. He is the promise keeper. And God, according to the Holy Scripture, is here in this place. How could you possibly go out that back door and never say nothing or anything to God? At least tell him take a hike. Or tell him you got it. I always loved that. My kids wanted to pick up the chainsaw and I say, can I have that? No, I got it. Look, man, you need God. You need him as a mother. You need him as a father. You need him as kids. You need him in the high school, in the high school, college years. We need him. I need him. I'm 54 years old, man. I need God more than I need oxygen. Well, pastor, how do you pray and do it? Listen, I work my trade. I can't weld like Tiger, but he can't pray like me. I'm going to take my chair to him today and get it fixed. But if his life falls apart, he needs to come here and let me help him. Because God wants you. We talked about this fish fry. He's probably thinking, that Maynard's after me again. And you know what? He's right. Because, listen, listen, God doesn't give up on me. I'm not going to give up on anybody else. God doesn't give up on you. You shouldn't give up. You shouldn't give up on your spouse, your children. You shouldn't give up on your country. You shouldn't give up on anything. Give up on a sinful life. Give up on the devil. Give up on doing the things that he's working in your life. Get rid of those things. Get rid of that selfish attitude, that self-centeredness. Get rid of those things. Listen, get rid of some things in your life that you can do godly things. We can't get people to do godly things. Did you know we have a ministry in Eloise? Did you know we had a block party this past Thursday with over 250 people that showed up there? Did you know that we work in Juanita in the elementary schools? That we put a $1,000 teacher's lounge together and begin to help and do those things. Do you know about our women's ministry and our men's ministry? Do you know what we do there? We know we're, we're flawed and fallowed, but I can't get people to come. I, listen, man, I'm to the point now we're going to feed you. But you know what? Many people are going to have something better and something different to do. That's not right. We are the family of God. 
I, I don't know if you guys know what that means. I mean, church, you know what church is today? Church is I'll get there when I feel like it. Church is I'll get there when I ain't got nothing on my calendar. Church is I'll just do what I want to do because this is me preaching. This is my life. You know what? That's the problem in America, in the church. We'll tell you, God, when we want to do something. We'll tell you. We'll get back to you, God. You just... Bleed on that cross and you just do what you got to do. I'll get it back to you. That's what we do. I'm convicted about it. It's what we do. And I don't know what else to do. So I pray. Every week. Every day. For you. That's my intercessory ministry. Don't give up on them, Father. Keep loving them. Let me just work around that field one more time before you snatch that tree out of that root, God. Don't snuff it out yet, God. Do you know there are moments of times that I can hear God speaking about you and what he wants to do? There's always an intercessor. And your eternal intercessor is Jesus the Christ. What's bugging you? Here it is. You're going to go home. You're going to go right back to your life. Oh, if that preacher would just shut up, I can hear the demons slinging from east to west. I can't. My wife always, we talk about and recap things, and I always get nervous about it. She says, man, just shut up. I said, I can't. I just get antsy. I want to I, I win. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a fighter, man. I'm a fighter. I'm going to fight to the end. And God bought me. God paid for me. He atoned for me. I'm in this thing, man. Bring it on. I'm going to meet when you want to meet. I'm going to pray when you want to meet. I'm going to counsel. Oh, I'm just done. I got another sermon. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready for me because I'm telling you when God's filling me up. If I can't take the message here, I'll take it out there. And I'll go wherever he sends me. Because here I am, God. I'm all in. I'm all in. I can't ask you to do what I myself am not willing to do. Listen, you know that stuff don't bother me. If God need to feed me by the birds of the air, he can do it. I need McDonald's french fries that you throw on the ground after church every Sunday. All right. You ready? You ready? You ready to be the change? Are you ready? Are you ready to come to God and say, you know what? I get it. You can shut him up now. I get it. You can tell him, never mind. I got it. Are you ready? Are you ready, sir? Are you ready to lead like Jesus? Girl, you ready to get back in there? You ready to be saved? You ready to be born again? You ready to win? You ready? You ready to take back America? Huh? Come on, man. You cheer about them college football games and pro football games and MLBs. I'm proud of the Cubs, too. to watch history with the Cubs. I'm the only Cub fan. But God's about to do history in you. God's about to do and make history in you. 
He's about to turn this world around to you. Can he trust you? Can he trust you this week? Can you be about his business? Can you make that change? Come on. Listen, somebody just got that. I'm telling you, I don't do this stuff. I laugh at people on television say that stuff, but somebody just got that. Can you say amen? If you talk to me, I'll sit down. If you don't talk to me, man, I can't hear nothing. Just talk to me. Come on, trucker. Talk to Teddy Bear. You got to talk to me. At least say amen, oh me, or something. I mean, get excited about something other than football and baseball. God don't care about the Steelers or the New England Patriots. Heck no. We already know who's got six super... I'm sorry. But nothing tells a comparison more than that fact that you're here, God's here. Man, let's do business. Let's do God business. Stand up. Come on. Are you ready? Come on. Go like this. With your right hand. Some of you, your other right hand. Go like this with your left hand. Do something. I just need to know you're alive. Are you alive in Christ? These folks are, these folks are prayed up. I don't know where my other half is. They're ready. The altar is open. Let's do business. Get back in the fight. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your family. Pray for your nation. You ready? Let's do it. They're going to sing. But let them sing by themselves because you're so busy doing God's work. You ain't got time to sing. You ready? Look, you don't talk to me. We start over. Let's do it. Uh, Are you ready? Say amen. All right, let's sing so these people can go home.